I, I think the poet or the filmmaker or the musician, the poet must not avert his eyes. You must not avert your eyes. This is what is coming at us. Good thing, the podcast that tries to find the one good narf in the narf that narfs the narf, but only in a narf when narf, 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 narf. Narf. I'm Paul Narf. Narf. And this week... <laughs> and this week we shall be discussing Lady in the Water, M. Night Shyamalan's 2006 family comedy novella about nonsense. <laughs> this recommendation comes from Beyond the Box Set, at Beyond the Box Set on Twitter... Harry and John pitch sequels, prequels, and spin-offs to films that don't have any. Mostly good films, though, like Interstellar, Ooh. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, nice. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Two, The Sixth Sense. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minds. I'd like to see them get any joy out of an M. Night Shyamalan film, though. You know, yeah. a proper one. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Uh, critics weren't really fond of the movie. No. Joe Morgenstern over at the Wall Street Journal said this cloying piece of claptrap sets a high watermark for pomposity, condescension, false profundity, and true turgidity. Turgidity. He mm. fucked me up on the end of the last review, didn't he? He did. He's he, a, he's a right trickster. He is. He's, he's a, a tease. He's very fond of his long lists separated by commas. And the last word will always be utterly unpronounceable to all and sundry. Yes. That's Joe Morgenstern. He earns that part of his name. Joe. (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, Kevin Crust over at the Los Angeles Times. Good names this week. Yeah, good names. Uh, He says there is something bizarrely compelling about the movie. It's slower than watching a train wreck, but invokes that same feeling of disbelief. It's the cloying nature of it. (laughs) Uh, The movie does have its followers, though. Netizen Kane... Oh, I get it. From uh, the YouTubes, uh, said, This movie was absolutely brilliant. People are so conditioned at this point as to what a movie should look and sound like that if it doesn't follow the Hollywood algorithm, they think it's bad. People need to watch this film with a child's wonder. Oh, I see. It was the Hollywood algorithm that's been ruining this film. Yeah, that's what got me. It's like, oh. hang on a minute, where's Tom Cruise? Uh, so, Paul, why do you hate new ideas? <laughs> They're just too visionary, I think, is the problem. That's the thing. You, you, know, you know what I mean? It's too much like Jesus Christ. <laughs> that sounds... I don't know what, what that sounds like, but Paul, <laughs> what happens in The Lady of the Water? Do we even need to uh, say at this stage that there is uh, a voiceover introduction? Of course, but this one's different because it has beautiful animation. Oh, do you remember in Wonder Woman? Yeah. When there was that really beautiful sort of tableau that was I do. playing out. Um, there was another one in Hellboy 2, I think. Which yes, was and stunning. also, I think more crucially, in Watership Down. The Watership Down. The Watership There was Down. a very beautiful sort of... I mean, the whole film was... It was a yeah. very long introduction <laughs> that lasted almost the entire movie until at the end Tom Cruise shows up. But um, there was an opening sort of pictographic, which sums up the mythology of the piece. Okay. Um I think maybe he was going for that. So we get chalk lines. Yes, okay. This one is bad. <laughs> Mankind used to live in the water, but it's his desire for materialistic things drove him inland and he got cut off from the source of inspiration, yes. which lived in the water. 
Oh, how beguiling. Let's continue. Yes. Um, we come to Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. Who has a cartoon fucking stammer in this film. Yes, he does. A full body sort of leaning into it. Just like a real person has. Might. Yeah. Yeah. It's already problematic. It really is. It starts with him doing... He's an attendant in a block of flats. A superintendent, one might say. Wow. Yeah. He's the real hero. Flush. Yeah. Um, he's doing various things, like killing a, a bug or a pest of some sort for a, for a family of, of hysteric Spaniards. Very small fox. Yes. His reflection in a mirror, <laughs> in a pool of water. I'll get it. Doing, doing those kinds of things. Uh, there, there's a critic played by Bob Balaban. Yes. He's a movie and TV critic. Yeah. And he's come to live in this little hotel, The Cove. Yes. Which Paul Giamatti superintends. He superintends it. And he shows him around and says, Hey, here's this guy. He's got one arm much stronger than the other. That's dumb. Okay. The, yeah. Then there's um this chick. She takes really good care of animals. And she wrote a book once. And mm. she's got a cat and a butterfly. Dumb. I don't know. Uh, here's uh, an Asian chick who we're not going to introduce through her face. Yeah. Let's not see her face. Let's just see her ass. Yeah. Uh, here's that Hispanic family from earlier. Remember yeah. them? Um, here's a guy who might say something important later on. He's a bit quiet. Yeah. That's your cast of characters, Bob Balaban. How are you feeling? Um, can I not be disturbed ever? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. That's a popular option around here. Bob Balaban channeling the frustration of the audience quite, <laughs> quite early on. Yeah. But stay tuned, guys, because this, it gets flipped. Oh no, not flipped. Oh. I had an expectation and I didn't come here to expect it to be subverted. To be flipped like yeah. a shitty pancake. Yeah. I want that pancake yeah. cooked on one side, raw on the other, like all my ex- my ideas. <laughs> well, hold on to your Bob Balabans, because uh, <laughs> it's going to get interesting. Um, Paul Giamatti hears a splash from outside mm. in the pool, and he goes out and investigates, only to find there's a Bryce Dallas Howard out there, all yes. naked and such, and tries to rouse her, at which point she wakes up... Rouse. That's not what I said? No, it was. I just had to just double check, because oh, okay. it came in the middle of a long string of words there. <laughs> He tries to rouse her, and incidentally arouses her, because he's poor Giamatti. Um, yeah, he gives her a poke. Um, she wakes up. Stop it! <laughs> um, and she says that uh, he doesn't... She, uh, uh, she starts. She starts with the process of indoctrinating this poor, innocent, poor Giamatti. Yes, and it's very wonderful, and we're filled with the magic and mysticism of another world. We are. She murmurs some things, and then they go outside. Yes. So, uh, But whilst outside... They get chased by a dolly zoom. <laughs> they, they sure do. <laughs> and it's electrifying. And then we cut to the next morning. Oh, fuck, how does this work next? Uh, I think at, at some point the next day he's talking to the chick. If we're, if we're never sure, I think it's just Bryce Dallas Howard Explains furthering the, the plot. Yeah. Yes, or that she's not the only one around here who can forward a plot. Yes. Because after explaining that she's here to meet someone and mentioning the word naff, he randomly asks the only korean person around. Yeah. he asks the korean young lady mm. wondering if she knows what a narf is and she says yes it's an old korean fairy tale a, no, a korean bedtime story that's it a bedtime story yeah. um a, a, a korean bedtime story oh it's really interesting says paul paul giamatti uh I'd, I'd, I'd love to find out more about that well i'm a young attractive woman with places to be but no please come back to my flat, mm. so that I can translate this story out of Korean that my mother knows, 
um, for the next couple of weeks of my life. In some cases, literally phoning it in. Yeah. A thousand nafs is about a rare naf who comes once in a generation of a nafs who is called the Madam Naf. A scrunt will do anything to kill a Madam Naf, even forget his fears of the tattoo you might break the rules for that, Mr. Hill. Yeah, so it's basically the rest of the movie is now him going from Bystaus Howard to Korean woman. Korean woman in order to get more details on this story. And what he's learned now is that she is here to meet a writer of some mm. sorts. And so he now has to go around all the residents again, most of whom we've already met, and ask them if they've written anything recently. Um, a bunch of smokers, a bunch of pretentious hipster types. Yep. One of whom is Jared Harris. Yep, but let's not focus on that. With all his eyebrows. No, we've got another scene to be on. No, yeah. Uh, None of them have written anything. Neither has the healer chick, who, like, with the butterfly and the cat. Yeah. Nor has... Bob Balaban, because he's a hack. He's a hack. He hasn't written anything in ages. And no critics ever come up with anything worth reading. No, not ever. No. Um, And so, ultimately... And then... Then what happens is that he's passing someone in the laundry, and... Mm. I mean, a heroic young man. An Adonis-like figure? Uh, yeah, an Adonis-like figure with long... <laughs> Sorry, did you see the sunlight just came <laughs> in the window? <laughs> the room lit up. I hope you can hear it. <laughs> the very thought. <laughs> oh, the very this... precursor to the mention of. This man, because yeah. he's got flowing locks, mm-hmm. dark dark skin. Yes. He's got his shirt open just a little bit, showing off just a little bit of what might be a peck. Yeah. And and a hero swagger. A hero swagger. And he's got a beautiful spiritual thing around his neck, right? Or is it... I think he has like a choker, like a, a beads. I think beads. That's, yeah. that's a very spiritual thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and he's he's very at ease with himself yeah. and everyone around him. Yeah. And he passes Paul Giamatti, um, and he's like, "I'm a brilliant author." Oh, I'm looking for. Oh no, no, that's not even fucking no, no, it. No, no, no. He passes him. Yeah. <laughs> he passes have... him, and he's like, "Oh, um, uh, hey, my my desk lamp is uh, still broken. Oh, I'll come fix it uh, so that you can continue working on the novel you're writing. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. What what he actually says was, "How's the writing going? Or have you written anything lately?" Yeah. And and then he and then he does a fucking like <laughs> double take. Yeah, a double take on himself. <laughs> Um, he has Paul Giamatti has no inner monologue in this film. He can't reason or understand anything unless he says it out loud with his mouth, and then the word means start to come in thick and fast. He does, it's not the, the only time he does this in the no, movie. No, it's not. When he only figures something yeah. out once he said it. Yeah, he has a he has what's the opposite of uh, of an echo chamber in his mind. <laughs> he has a, an isolation chamber in his mind. <laughs> a, Hello, a, a sensory Anyone? deprivation tank. In is, is anything here? <laughs> No, I... Oh, okay, I guess I'll just keep going then. Oh, wait, what? I thought I heard... Nope. Okay. <laughs> I'm Paul so But if Paul... <laughs> if Paul Giamatti has a monologue in the darkness, does anyone hear it or care <laughs> enough to film it? Probably not. So, as you may have guessed before you even heard what this film was about, Paul, uh, M. Night Shyamalan, the director of the film, plays the brilliant young author... Mm. whose destiny is to write a book that will influence a president. Yes. Um, he Paul Giamatti sets up a meeting between this visionary young writer and um, the ch- the water chick. I don't think we got into this. The water chick is a narf. Yes. So she is a water nymph, basically. Yes. Narf is Korean for water nymph. Yes, that's actually a fact that you can take to the bank. 
so so far we know Narf's wa- uh, which is a water nymph who want to inspire mankind scrunts scrunts are evil they're S- predators and they're here to hunt mankind wait a minute paul i thought that the enemy of mankind was his apathy and his lack of interest which is what the nymphs really had to um the narfs really had to combat no they're also giant monsters <laughs> that look like grass things also giant monsters. Also giant Also monsters. always giant monsters. Yes. Um, there are also Tatutix, which we might get into yeah. later, which are simian guardians. Yes. Of the Narfs. Sure. The Tatutix fight off the... What was it? Scrunt? The Scrunts. The Scrunts. The Scrunts. Sorry. The Tatutix fight off the Scrunts in order to protect the Narfs. I yes. think that's what we've learned. It's very much like rock, paper, scissors. A Narf beats a Tatutix. Yeah. A Tatutix beats a Scrunt. A scrunt beats enough. But put them all together. Oh, you get a hell of a band. It's a disco. It's a disco. It's a Korean disco. <laughs> which is my favourite dish. <laughs> Korean. And my fifth concept album. Hi, um, I ordered the Korean disco of prawns. <laughs> so amid, amid, amidst all of this, yeah. um, the, the, the Narf, the Water Nymph, the Bryce Dallas Howard, who yeah. in this film is known as Story. Yes. She has a story to tell. Yes. Which is very good. Oh, um, I just got it. I just got it. <laughs> Wait. So she's now met her vessel or whatever yeah. and delivered her message. Mm. And now she needs to go home. You know, the eagle's going to come pick yeah. her up. Yeah. So so there's that. And is, is that when it gets to the, the shower bit? The yes. shower scene? Well, what happens now is he takes her to visionary director slash writer M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. The um, anti-Bob Balaban, you might say. The anti-Bob Balaban, yeah. as I've always said. Um, <laughs> and his sister plunks her in the shower. Yeah. Uh, because she's better when she's wet, even though when she's wet, she seems to be completely unable to actually say anything. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, that's logic. What she is able to indicate, or maybe what he learns from Koreans, I don't know, mm. is that she needs to now assemble a whole bunch of people in order to successfully get home and has to do so quickly because she is now poisoned by the scratches, by the scrunt. So they need a guild, a yes. guardian, an interpreter, and a healer. You have to believe that this all makes sense somehow. And a film critic. Oh, no, sorry. No one needs that. No one. So he goes to the film critic and says, where would you expect to find um, the guild, the guardian, the interpreter, and the healer? Mm. And then fully breaking any sort of thing. Yeah, by deciding to be incredibly meta about this whole thing, incredibly Mm. metatextual. They decide, and metrosexual at the same time, but that's oh, a yes. whole different matter. Well, that's M. Night Shyamalan's uh, appeal, isn't it? It's pretty saucy. I mm. liked it. He tells, he says, look, for the guild, just look for a whole bunch of people who are always seen together. Yep. Well, there's two bunches of those in the movie, so I guess I'll go for the one that has Jared Harris in it, because why the fuck wouldn't you? Yes. Um, for the Guardian, it's you, yeah, obviously. Yeah. It's You're you the main character. Because, because this script sucks, <laughs> is what the, the film critic says. For the healer, look for someone who's got little animals around them. Okay, that'll be Butterfly Chick. Excellent. Yeah. And for the interpreter, oh yeah, we forgot someone. For the interpreter, go find someone who's really good at puzzles. Oh, okay, that'll be Jeffrey Wright. Yes. Who earlier was solving a crossword puzzle whilst his son stared at a cereal box. Yeah, perfect. Twice. Twice. Excellent. Good stuff. He assembles yeah. those people and they decide the best thing to do is to just throw a party to distract the scrunt. Yeah. And that way she can just get away. It's a foolproof plan. Absolutely. Um, which they nevertheless completely fail to They completely to fuck it up because they d- somehow don't start the music. They can't get a message to the band who are standing five metres away. Yeah, to start the music to distract the scrunt. Consequently, yeah. the plan fails, the scrunt attacks, Yeah, everyone runs away. A Bryce Dallas house, house goes Howis. blonde. 
Bryce, Bryce Howard. Bryce, Dallas Howard and Jared Harris get into the fly, the teleporter. <laughs> and um, and her hair goes blonde. Yes, out of sheer wonder. Joy. Yeah. <laughs> the, eyebrow, the eyebrow had to annex her hair um, in order to survive. Oh, Bryce, Jared Howard's is spreading. <laughs> he lives on. <laughs> so, yeah. The, um, the, oh, and the critic is killed, but no one cares because boo! This is like a moment from a horror movie. It's precisely the moment where the mutation or beast will attempt to kill an unlikable side character. But in stories where there has been no prior cursing, nudity, killing, or death, such as in a family film, the unlikable character will narrowly escape his encounter and be referenced again later in the story. They're forced to address the fact their plan was wrong. Hmm. Well, you know what they did wrong? They listen to a film critic, mm. and a film critic, he just he he can't understand the genius that is M Night Shyamalan and his universe. Consequently, his suggestions were too orthodox. Mm. They were too following a traditional film plot, and that's yeah. not what Shyamalan's going for here. No, no, it was actually the other bunch of people who are always together, the one that you knew less about and that didn't have Jared Harris. Um, and it wasn't set up at all. The Guardian wasn't Paul Giamatti. Mm-hmm. It was um, the guy with a massive left arm from earlier. Yeah. And uh, Paul Giamatti's actually a healer, mm-hmm. not the chick with the cat. Yeah. And also... Um, Wait, Paul, that's the biggest twist of the film. No, no, no! It's ruined it two-thirds of the way through. Oh, You're a God. monster. And also, it turns out the interpreter is not the guy who's really good at crosswords. It's um, his son. Yes, who who can divine the future from... Cereal. Cereal boxes. I mean, I just, it, it, it surprised me on every front. That is twist after twist after twist. It was, Genius. it was very satisfying and not at all frustrating. <laughs> um, and I'm glad Bob Balaban is dead. I, uh, this is where my notes stopped. I think I stopped paying attention. <laughs> so, well, it, it all, it all seems to happen nicely come the end. She flies away in a big eagle. Everyone's yeah. kind of happy. Paul Giamatti's come to terms with the loss of his family. Yep. Um, Bob Balaban is dead. Yep. Um, Thank God. Good riddance. M. Night Shyamalan is going to write his book, even though he's figured out through contrivances that uh, at some point he's going to get murdered. Uh, somewhere between his sister's second and third child. Yes. And he's going to sacrifice himself for all of you. Especially yes. you, John. <laughs> Lucky <Stern>. boy. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the end. The end. Of that film. I found it so fucking difficult to follow that plot this week because yeah. i was just so just oh god this... i can't even think of an adjective um adverb how so about bored. how about good old-fashioned boring it was just boring it was just so fucking boring the characters don't exist there no. is no characters there's a little bit of poor giamatti poor giamatti-ness yeah everyone else talks i mean they talk as if they were in an m light Shyamalan movie yes just complete monotone. No inflections or enthusiasm for anything. Which works for Paul Giamatti, because that's his thing. <laughs> that's his you know. That's his whole business. Yeah. Jared Harris, if you don't have him come in, raise an eyebrow, and just dismiss everyone in the room as being worthless, then you're not using Jared Harris correctly. No, you, you did Jared Harris wrong, M. Night. <laughs> Bryce and Dallas Howard is a fucking flatline so much. Oh, my God. She looks boring, is yeah. the thing. They haven't, you know, the, the dull hair, no mm. makeup... Not that women need to wear makeup, but no. no makeup. She had makeup to make her look completely pallid. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, and, and she came in and she was she was laconic, but not in like a 
a, like a Lilu way, yeah. With, with who, you know who who'd come from another world and had customs and traditions of a, of a whole other civilization, and was so full of fucking wonder at everything around her. No, she was a blank slate. She was yeah. the tofu. She was like <laughs> the uncooked tofu of this world. I know of your future, Cleveland. Do you want to hear it? It is only what I have been told by others. They tell us the world will line up and reveal we are on the right path. The universe will give us signs. You need to inspire a guy to write a book so that he can inspire a president in spite of the in spite of the fact that the book will kill him. There's a story for you. Yeah. You've got to give up your life for the world. Okay, there are two scenes for that. Mm. There's a scene where he's told this, and there's a scene where he figured out he's gonna die. And that's it. There's mm. no other internal struggle. Shyamalan, I think, wanted to break sort of a lot of rules. Yeah. You shouldn't break all of the rules because some of them are about audience engagement. Do you know what? I'm <laughs> going to make a movie that breaks all the wa- all the rules, Paul. Yeah. All the rules of narrative storytelling. I'm going to be such a rule breaker. It's a brick wall. <laughs> and every so often you can hear Yoko Ono in the background <laughs> screaming the word fuck. Never been done before. <laughs> Never been done before. I'm breaking all the rules. Or watched by anyone. <laughs> it sets everything up with Bob Bal- Bal- Bob Balaban <laughs> like sneering his way through explaining the plot. Like, oh, you just want to pay attention to those jack off talking about some tawdry bullshit um <laughs> who are clearly going to be important later in the yeah, film because well because convention is such you know it's yeah for, for jackasses so let's take that example though yeah. okay so the people who shut up early talking about a name bullshit will obviously be important later in the film yeah. okay fine i can accept that yeah. oh they're not yeah okay f- well, then what was the point of them yeah things like this have mm. conventions you know conventions weren't created as conventions they were there wasn't like a film guild sitting around at the very beginning of all cinema going okay guys we've got to come up with some conventions otherwise we can't make a film <laughs> let's write some fucking conventions and nobody must break these rules yeah no. it's like what are you saying in breaking the rules that's the important thing you can't just do it for the sake of it yeah if you want to break that rule okay sometimes i want to break the rule of chekhov's gun you know that's what you're saying here i want to have things that don't set up things and then fine why because if you do that things are just gonna happen yeah yeah what am i meant to be getting out of this it was a mic drop from m night Shyamalan. (laughs) only he he was doing the ironing at the time yeah and he dropped it on his foot it just didn't achieve anything look at um adaptation yeah the charlie Kaufman thing in which um halfway through the movie whilst nicholas cage is sort of monologuing in his head you have brian cox's character say for christ's sake don't use monologues in your movies pointing out the narrative devices he's leaning on as he's using them in order to tell a story about how difficult it is to be a writer yeah the, what's this story about it's well it's uh it's about enough <laughs> it's about Ooh. enough for me <laughs> <laughs> classic mic drop that shyamalan <laughs> ow <laughs> my foot's burning against the iron again <laughs> the- it was a bedtime story that he told to his kids. Yes. That he then later in the film pretended was a Korean folktale. Yes. With, you know, folktales which have a, like a rich like history of of culture and tradition. Yeah. Um, not something that he just sort of came up with on the spot to make his children go to sleep. Yeah. He decided later- to make into a sort of commentary on movies and how people have forgotten how to accept new ideas, which was a common defense he had about his earlier movies when people hated them crowbarred that into his fairy tale now did the wailing do that did the wailing (laughs) weave a rich tapestry of of korean folklore and horror Mm. and like modern horror yeah and then go 
Oh, but anyone who believes in, in this convention is a douchebag. <laughs> Suck it. If you thought I was going to make it out of it, then you're just a Hollywood sheep. Yeah. It's having your cake and eating it too, but... Yeah. I mean, and then just... eating someone else's. <laughs> but just don't talk about it. Do yeah. it. The Wailing does break a lot of conventions. There's yeah. a lot of points where, like, the mystical figure shows up. Yeah. Oh, he's going to help us out, and he doesn't help them out at all. In fact, yes. he makes it worse. It's like they didn't then have a character saying what needs to happen now is that a mystical figure will come in yeah. in order to remedy the problem which yeah. will inevitably lead on to further complications and possibly even a double cross yeah this kind of arsy self-awareness well, it needs not- to be in favor of something you know it's not paprika it's not like <laughs> okay fuck traditional narratives we're just going out here now yeah it's just a series of people telling each other things in rooms yeah with no seeming emotional weight to it yeah and there's no sense of wonder to yeah. the fairy tale they're telling or to the idea of, wow, maybe there's a fairy tale land with scrunts and narfs. Yeah. It's just, there's no excitement. Yeah. Everything is in this dreary apartment building. Yeah. We don't even see, like, the, the biggest joke of it is we don't even see the most interesting parts of the, the film mm. when um, a Bryce Dallas Howard is introduced to see Paul Giamatti's face for the most part of it, in later scenes when he's coming in and she's doing something interesting or kooky, yeah, we either see his face or we see her legs. Yeah, the camera is 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 positioned behind her calf muscles. Yes, and that's all we can see. Yes, we don't get any emotional reactions, and it almost right. feels deliberately like Shyamalan is saying, "You expect me to cut to her face now? Well, I'm not going to do it." Yeah, and it's like, fine. Why? Yeah, what does that do? It's very difficult to sort of. First of all, everyone's giving a. A, a, a monotone performance yeah. so the scene where everybody's sort of just staring at her in the shower Jared Harris's eyebrows remain fixed just <laughs> locked and loaded ready to do an expression yes. but none are none are forthcoming everyone just stares at her as if she was a jellyfish something you just touched upon there that I want to come back to and this is another part of the quote I read earlier from Netizen Kane people think the words Narf and Scrunt are dumb the same people that swallowed three two-hour movies about orcs, hobbits, dwarves, elves, giant spiders, and an ancient evil eye, where Elvish has spoke f- spoken frequently? So, what is the difference? Why did we swallow... They weren't two-hour fucking movies by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Why did we swallow approximately 12 hours of Tolkien? And God knows how many more hours of Game of Thrones. This is a holiday for us. <laughs> Put away your money. Do this one for free. Because J.R. Tolkien didn't just fucking come up with it in a night. No. If you read the Silmarillion, it reads like the Bible. <laughs> it's it's the creation of this world and, and the yeah. formation into into the Middle Earth that we know come the time of the Hobbit and, mm. and Lord of the Rings. Elvish is based on um, various Celtic languages. Yeah. yeah. Mm. They're like tra- traditions are based on mm. real, well, real or f- like legendary stories. And yeah, it's, so it's he mentions things like orc, which yeah. of course comes from orcus, meaning an old, um, uh, it's an old uh, Saxon word for enemy. Of course, and there's various things, and and, and uh, uh, Rowling did the same, you know, mm. using old English words like Dumbledore, mm. which um, oh, I forget what Dumbledore means now, but there's a onomatopoeic quality to it. The word Dumbledore, you know, you've got words that sound like mumble. Yeah. Or it's very round, like bumblebee as yeah. well. It's got a, a, a lovely, charming quality to it to describe a character who is lovely, charming, and very wa- warming. Yeah. Welcoming, a reassuring. Philological sort of pleasure to be had from... Yeah. An orc. Yeah. You know, it's very... It's pointy. It makes sense. It does. Narf, as the, ca- as the name yeah. for your graceful, elf-like... Mm characters scrunt 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 at least has the quality of sounding like 
an evil thing. It just it doesn't sound intimidating. It sounds like an annoyance. Like, oh, we've got scrunts again. It's, it, it, so- it sounds like a big, like, fluffy nuisance in a children's book. <laughs> if you want to go for something that people could be invested in, you do have to do some of the legwork and at least make it sound yeah. authentic. You can't have a Korean, like, story about narfs and scrunts and cootie-coos or whatever they were called. Tutics. Whatever. <laughs> care. There is such such a difference between orcs, elves, Tom Bombadil, Silmar- Silmarillion. Yeah, Tom Bombadil. I mean, these were written by linguists, yeah. is the thing. They, they have a, an ear for that kind of sound. You have yeah. to do the work here, and part of that is just make us care about the characters. Mm. Make us interest, make us see the world and explore the world through them. Mm. And then, yeah, we can just, we can get into it that way, and that, then it won't matter so much if we think mm. the words are dumb. Because we'll be like, oh god, here come the scrunts. No. Yeah, and then and then further to that, restricting restricting it to just one apartment block mm. that was baffling, bafflingly built from scratch. Yeah. For the film. Yeah. But was set forty three minutes away from M and I Shamlin's house, <laughs> so we didn't have to actually go anywhere and do anything else. All right. Well, with that, mm. let's get into the real meat of this film. M Night Shyamalan's ego. Now, he originally was due to make this movie with Touchstone Pictures, mm-hmm. um, which was the production company owned by Disney who had made all of his previous movies, uh, yes. released all of his previous movies. Um, he sent Nina Jacobson, uh, his producer, I believe, uh, the script, yeah. uh, to her house, and she was meant to be in the house at a certain time so that she could receive, receive this script from the courier. She instead decided to take her son to a birthday party. Unreasonable yeah. twat. Like a wanker would. Like a wanker would, and consequently the courier had to wait for her to get home to give the script over. And so he left. He left Touchstone <laughs> and took it instead uh, to Warner Brothers, did he? Yes, he, he took it to Warner Brothers. Yeah. Even after reading it, Nina Jacobson... No, she took it to her boss, and her boss voiced concerns. Mm. And didn't like it very much, but they were still willing to completely fund the movie, but Shyamalan just left and shit all over the studio that had made his last four films, and we're gonna make this one, mm. saying that Disney no longer valued... In spite of everything. <laughs> in spite of everything. Uh, left and just said that Disney no longer value in, uh, unique ideas. What a class act. Mm-hmm. And then you have the fact that he based production 43 minutes away from his home. You have the fact that he cast himself as a messianic figure in the film. A brilliant writer with an important message. You have the fact that he made all these decisions purely from the perspective of subverting tropes. Almost as if to just get people to make note of him. And then you have quotes like this. He, he, he often gets asked about the criticisms of his movie. And he replied, They've never got me. And I think it's getting worse. Um, I think I'm getting more, you know, influenced by other cult- cultures more. As you could see from the movie. Um, I'm not doing... Sorry. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Which movie? <laughs> Continue, sorry. <laughs> Which movie exactly are we talking about here? <laughs> I'm not doing like a straight up American movie anymore. I've always had a European sensibility to my movies. The pacing is always a bit off for them. Because, you know, Hitchcock and Kurosawa and Stanley Kubrick, they are my teachers. Critics hate those guys. So it could be a little bit of that. There's a little bit more of a cultural difference. Now, that's infuriating. Because he's at this point, I think he's saying this about, I think he's saying this about The Last Airbender. So this is after the reception of Lady in the Water, The Happening, terrible mm-hmm. movies by anyone's standards. Mm-hmm. And rather than acknowledge, he says, no, you're, you're not understanding. Mm-hmm. You're not getting it. You need to have a more European sensibility to things. Go mm-hmm. watch Kubrick and Kurosawa, Hitchcock. And then you'll get it. You'll get it. I've seen an awful lot of Hitchcock and <laughs> Kurosawa and all of Kubrick. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. I, I, I mean, I think there's a definite art in bamboozling somebody over things that are like artistically bankrupt yeah. by saying you just didn't get it yeah 
there is very ostensibly one idea per film. Or well, you can say two ideas. It's the, the premise and then the twist. Because, yeah. ha-ha! <laughs> counter idea. Turns out none of that was true. To say, yeah. T- turns out I just wasted another two hours <laughs> of your life. What? Pointless bullshit. Oh, wow. To come away from like the massive backlash and say that people didn't get it. In M. Night Shyamalan films... The, the consensus is so overwhelmingly against him. Yeah, it's just Nessus and Kane at this stage. He's <laughs> yes. the only one. Fighting his corner. <laughs> the problems are obvious. It's not like, oh, I just didn't get what he was trying to do with that. No. It's like, oh, what did he mean by casting Bob Balaban as the, the, <laughs> the egotistical, self-assured, but ultimately flawed uh, film yeah. critic? It's simultaneously very on the nose, but also completely hollow. Mm. Like It's very obvious how hollow his intentions are. Like, okay, people need to open themselves up to more different stories. Mm. Great, they still need to be good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have to take a step back. Why isn't somebody going, well... Maybe. You, you, you don't even... Yeah, you don't even have to be like, hey, you know, have you ever thought that it's your problem? Just be yeah. like, look, you know, you, you've got to make the films that you want to make. If nobody else likes them, then so, so be it. Yeah. Not like, oh, they just don't get them because yeah. you're amazing. <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> when there's no humility whatsoever, yeah. it's very fr- frustrating. I think you always need humility. I watch quite a lot of um, Christopher Nolan talking in interviews, mm. and although he has to, you know, he, he'll often sort of explain the things um, that he's done and sort of mm. talk about his attempts and his efforts. He's so self-deprecating, and that's very fulfilling. It's rewarding to see that. And I think, mm. oh, Bellatar. The great Russian filmmaker who directs these very lofty, um, difficult-to-watch movies like The Turin Horse or The Workmeister um, Mm. Harmonies. Fantastic films. But he did an introduction to The Turin Horse Mm. um, where he came out at the beginning and said, oh, it's such a lovely day. You really want to waste your time on this shit? And then three hours later when The Turin Horse finished, he came out and said, I told you. You know, it's it's that. You need yeah. that in your geniuses, I yeah. think. And you especially need it from your hacks. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. This, we always say, stand by your shit. Yeah. But for the love of God, know that it's shit. So, Paul, we've been very negative about this movie so far. Yeah. We're, the, we're the lovable one good thing, boys. Yeah. I, I think, how can we justify um, how negative we've just been over the last however long? Um, we, tr- we came to this trying to be positive, I think. Yeah. I think we were ready to maybe get something out of this. I think we've both liked Bryce Dallas Howard and things, and we both loved Paul Giamatti. Yeah. And Jared um, House was a genuine delight. So like, what? Yeah. Well, the thing is, I've, I've loved M. Night Shyamalan as well. <laughs> the Sixth Sense is a good film. Yeah, and I really like Unbreakable. Yeah, Unbreakable was great fun. Um, mm. You've seen Split? Split is, um, yeah, so his recent movies were the ones that people say are his return to form, The Visit, Okay. Uh, which is a, a perfectly good thriller, which stigmatizes mental health a little bit. Uh, then you've got Split, mm-hmm. a perfectly good thriller, which stigmatizes mental health a bit. <laughs> a bit more. So, a bit more. <laughs> so, well, yeah, a bit more than that, really. I mean, <laughs> people with mental health issues are vicious killers, but um, they're also better than us, I guess. No, that's fair. Yeah, fair. Yeah. So I really, really, I do want to see a redeeming film from M. Night Shyamalan. Sure. Because I know that he's capable of it. That's yeah. the worst thing. He's got the potential. Yeah. He just doesn't apply himself where where it's needed. <laughs> I think we would have, in, in spite of all of our prejudices, we would have been honest had we enjoyed this. We yeah. really would have. It's just very early on when the whole like fairy tale thing was unfolding, we did have to turn to each other and just wonder, why don't we care? Yeah. Why is this leaving us so cold? And it's, uh, uh, we've explained it to you, mm. all of the reasons, and it's unfortunate. 
But yeah, there really wasn't much good to say about this, and I think it's actually one of the worst films we've seen. Absolutely, and I, and I think that um, we've we've demonstrated how we're able to to uh, you know admit when we like a film. We've done mm. it a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. This this far more than what was the most recent sort of worst film of all time we've watched? Oh, Gili. I mean, oh, yeah. this is way more deserving of one of the worst films of all time than Gili. Mm. You know, Gili had moments. It had a spirit and an energy to it. Yeah. You know, this. Ugh. It was just so vacuous. <laughs> Very. You just, you can't even begin to like feedback on it. You just you just think, oh, how can I tell this person just to scrap it and start again? Yeah, I think I even preferred Paul Blart, wow. Paul Blart, to this. Maybe there was such a like dearth of redeeming features to this movie. There were that it took up a quarter of a page. Yeah. Well, the- let's get to that quarter of a page to do one of our shortest ever quick fire rounds of good things. Pew pew pew. Pew, pew. The soundtrack at the very beginning, uh-huh. uh, the narration, uh-huh. um, I made a note immediately that it was very good. Yeah. For the rest of the film, I mean, yeah. yeah. But for the for the narration, yes. Yeah. Um, so very near the beginning, um, we are introduced to Paul Giamatti by him exterminating an animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't see the animal, we just see Paul Giamatti and the family in the background. And he, they are very nervous, he's very nervous, clearly. And he starts mm. taking out the animal, sort of whacking it with something. <laughs> And that made me laugh. The image of Reggie, the guy with one arm bigger than the other, who, uh-huh. who, who, because of science, was working out just the one arm, yeah, um, to see, you know, what the difference could be. Mm. Um, that's a horrifying image. Of it one, really is one, upsetting, isn't it? One man with a large bicep and a skinny one. And yeah, it's like that- Cronenbergian horror. There was, um, okay, so there's a sequence where Paul Giamatti dives under the water. Uh, he gets under there and he's running out of breath and he's come through to a cave and he finds that someone has left an upturned glass there, like a regular glass that contains oxygen. That he's able to extract carefully. And I really liked the idea of leaving a glass of oxygen at the bottom of the sea. There was like mm. some, there was something quite cool and fairy taleish about that. Yeah. And the movie make, maybe could have used more moments like that. Yeah. I just like Paul Giamatti in gen- general. Yeah. He was allowed to be his usual intense sort of... <laughs> For the most part. And um, he wasn't pretending to be a baby. Yeah. I mean, that was intense. That was intense. That was yeah. still intense. <laughs> you know, he was allowed to be that usual self despite this silly film. Uh, Bob Balaban had a couple of lines that I quite liked as a mm. sort of cynical asshole cri- uh, critic. And after giving a very long monologue um, mm. about uh, the things that he should be doing in order to survive the basic narrative of this movie, um, he says, is there anything else I can explain to you during my nap time? <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, there was a very interesting one I thought, Ooh, um, in the shower scene. Yeah. Oh, uh no when they they finally get the the guild or guild stage one yeah um around and 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 all the you know guardians and healers and so on and there's about 10 people crowded around the shower all looking down at bryce dallas howard as they're sort of discussing what they should be doing yeah for the first minute or so of this of this shot it's it's very interesting it was like oh okay so at, at, at this stage it's more about the group being curious about this nymph and everybody sort of getting a look in whilst they're trying to figure out what to do. Uh-huh. But then after a while, the camera started like panning away even from the people who were talking. There was yeah. um, Paul Giamatti and Jeffrey Wright having a conversation and just mm. slowly, as if the cameraman was falling asleep, the camera yeah. panned away from Paul Giamatti's. Yeah. But you'd still get like an inch of his face on the screen <laughs> and it stopped, it stopped being anything. It stopped yeah. having any purpose. It was then just, again, just M. Night Shyamalan just like... <laughs> coming aggressively on, on yeah. critics and going, yeah. fuck you, trying to yeah. enjoy my films. I liked the idea of the red herring. 
Hmm. The idea that, oh, okay, it's been very obviously set up. Because before they were even saying it, I was making fun of how Paul Giamatti can't put this together. Yeah. It's like, huh, we need someone who's good at writing and puzzles. And it's like, maybe the guy you saw doing a crossword earlier. Like, hmm. literally two scenes ago. And I like the idea that actually those were red herrings. Hmm. That, but the the problem just is that, you know, the people who they were actually doing it it's like in a movie where you're setting up one guy to be the killer throughout the whole thing and then it turns out he's not and it's actually some other guy yeah you better make sure you set up the other guy a bit with his motivations and his story yeah. otherwise it will just be like nope it was bill bill yeah remember the guy from like the first scene who like yeah. delivered the water oh that shit but trick. it did very definitely set up those guys to be the, the the key figures and i was quite impressed by the yeah the idea that you'd subvert it is just he didn't do it well. Yeah, cool. I thought the band who were playing, who I think were called Silvertide, apparently, yeah, probably just friends of him, like Shamlin. The vocalist had a very cool voice when Ooh. he came in with uh, "I Ain't Gonna Work on Maggie's Farm No More." <laughs> it was uh, it was good rock, sounds punky vocals, yeah. <laughs> um, and the other was when um, M Night's character, the Messiah, learned that he was um, gonna die, um, mm. gonna die young. He actually does a very capable bit of acting oh he 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 um does his own parry mm. when uh, his sister makes a joke about him and he does he tells her another joke it's hiding his uh hiding his like fear of the you uh. know his his struggle to accept the fact that he's gonna die uh. and there's a very quick sort of change of expression mm. as he tells this joke where he gives a real like weak smile to his sister and then the fear then just comes back in full force it's very good Good stuff. Yeah. Well done, Shyamalan. Yeah, I'm done. You're done. Okay, well, the last good thing we should really talk about is a young man, a young heroic man who maybe hasn't stepped up into the limelight as often as he really should do. Uh, you may have seen him in Mad Men. Yeah. In the excellent Lane Price. Beautiful young man. Beautiful young man. You may have seen him in Sherlock Holmes 2, A Game of Shadows. Yes. Um, as Professor Moriarty. Yep. You might have seen him in Fringe. You might have seen him in Fringe. You might have seen him in recent Hammer horror movie, The Quiet Ones. Mm -hmm. He's excellent in that. Allied. Allied. You may have seen him in. And you may have seen him in Lady in the Water. That's right. It is, of course, Jared Harris. There's no wicked man. Some poker just like us made it up somewhere, and here you are speaking it. It needs to be on some T-shirt or something, you ass. No, it doesn't. It just catches on. People just start saying it that hunk <laughs> jamad harris is a fantastic actor he's um very english mm -hmm. <laughs> um sort of ginger-haired man with a big old beard uh but more importantly eyebrows that could cut a man in half yes <laughs> with a withering look they can make the queen come <laughs> when he gives you a big <laughs> smile and raises one of those eyebrows your 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 just your, your insides will liquefy your loins are sopping yeah absolutely his voice isn't in it much but when it is yeah Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Then Fuck you know. <laughs> then the rumbling comes. <laughs> okay, I think that just about does it for um, the one good thing. Let's talk yeah. about the one better thing. The one better thing. So, my one better thing this week is The Tale of the Princess Kaguya, ah. uh, produced by the inimitable Studio Ghibli and uh, directed by the also quite unique Isao Takahata, based on the Japanese folktale of the bamboo cutter. Uh, the story also centres around a girl who arrives on Earth from a distant place on this occasion, discovered uh, by a bamboo cutter and his wife who raise her as their own. Mm. Where this film gets it right, though, is having a sense of wonder um, about Kaguya's origin, a sense of magic and mysticism about her being on Earth, a sense of the foreign in the setting, the traditions of another culture, which, like we said, is one of the reasons that folktales 
can be so powerful mm. ultimately it's a beautiful and funny film that yeah. turns a folktale into poetry and you know, i can't recommend it enough excellent brilliant um well you might be thinking okay so animation is the way you do this you couldn't possibly do a good modern fairy tale in live action well i am absolutely delighted to tell you about uh matteo garoni's uh tale of tales a film from a couple of years ago mm-hmm. um which is a sort of dark fairy tale movie um it is Italian-led, with co-producers in France and the United Kingdom. So it's a very multinational production. Um, an English-language film, though, starring a whole diverse cast of, uh, with Salma Hayek, Vincent Cassel, Toby Jones, John C. Riley. Fantastic cast. Um, and basically, it's an adaptation of um, the sort of fairy tales of uh, Jean-Baptiste Basile in uh, the Pentamaroni, which is the sort of... Um, a compendium of stories of tales a tale of tales mm. which contains the earliest versions of like fables like rapunzel sleeping beauty and cinderella and that's the feel here is it's very dark mm. fairy tales uh the main framing device is that salma hayek wants to have a child and can't and so she gets her husband john c Riley, to go out to the sea to slay a sea monster uh so that she can bring back its heart so that she can eat it. She gives birth to, um, except the woman who prepares it for her, who has to be a virgin, um, turns out to actually be pregnant. She was lying. Ouch. Consequently, Salma Hayek and the, and the, vir- the so- supposed virgin both give birth to completely albino, um, children who mm. have this sort of kinship because they were both kind of born of the monster heart. Uh, and they have this weird psychic connection and ability to breathe underwater. That's just one of the tales. There's also a thing about Vincent Cassel trying to romanticize an old woman because he fell in love with her voice. Oh, Christ, there's just so many of these stories, and they're all so great. Such beautiful imagination and cute little details. Yeah. Um, and the world is so fully realized. It doesn't look like somewhere from history. It looks like a fairy tale yeah. kingdom. Um, I'm just so fucking impressed with it. Throughout the whole thing, just watching it, feeling absolutely delighted. I think it's nigh on perfect. It was one of my favorite movies of 2015. That is The One Better Thing. The One Better Thing. Thank you for listening to One Good Thing. Yes, and thanks to Beyond the Box Set for that experience. Oh, God. Um, Do a sequel to that, you pricks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do go check them out and follow them on Twitter at Beyond the Box Set. Uh, it's a really cool show. And uh, to clarify for any international fans, I've been told that they're actual knights. Uh, as for us, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Stitcher. Uh, my novel, Dockhead, is uh, available on Amazon, five ninety nine. Um <laughs> Keep uh, checking us out on Twitter. You'll see the link up there. Yep. Um, thanks to anyone who's everyone who's bought it and is reading it. It's really great to hear from you. Yep. Thanks to anyone who's checking out my reviews on Screen Mayhem. Uh, there's one for Annabelle Creation just going up, so check that out. Perfect. In other news, uh, we went on the Video Negative podcast. Yep. It's uh, it's out already. We were discussing The Wicker Man with <laughs> Oliver while Dan and Tim were away on holiday. Mm. It was oodles of fun, and uh, in doing this, we managed to keep Nick Cage out of the books of the OGT Three Man for another week. Um, if you're not already following Video Negative, then you should do that right now. Not mm. least because it gets you another ninety minutes of pulls. Yeah. As for us, if you're not already subscribed on iTunes, then please do subscribe. There's just mm. one click between you and Eternal Pools. And <laughs> if you haven't left us a review, it's my birthday very soon. So why not yeah. go and do that too? It doesn't have to be anything special, just a line. But every review helps us get noticed, helps us spread the word, gets yeah. more, get more fans. Just ev- everything good. All the good stuff. Yeah. Finally, a correction. Yes. Um. So last week we talked about the music in Gili. Um, we talked about how out of place it was um, and how sort of inappropriate it was to what was happening, which is all very true. 
definitely true. Mm-hmm. The thing is, in preparing sound clips for that music, of that music in the episode, I realized it was actually really good. <laughs> Uh, the music is by John Powell, who does who does a lot of these. He did the um he did a lot of animated movies like Ants and Chicken Run and Shrek even, uh, and How to Train Your Dragon, which has a fucking excellent soundtrack. Ah. I love that soundtrack. So he 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 wrote great music, and it's been stuck in my head ever since the review. And I just I feel like I should have mentioned it as a good thing, um because it's really quite haunting. And it, mm. it yeah, check out John Powell's score to Geely. Yeah. Surprisingly, that's the weirdest <laughs> recommendation I've ever had to make to a group of people. But seriously, it's actually very good. Yeah, worth saying. And if we can think of anything more charitable to say about Lady in the Water, we'll <laughs> update you next week. <laughs> actually. <laughs> we'll swing it around. <laughs> we'll swing it around yet. It's just going to take longer than we anticipated. But by the time we get to episode 50, we'll fucking love it. And we'll have you loving it too. (laughs) Perfect. I'm Paul Salt. I'm Paul Goodman. And remember, the one good thing about Lady in the Water is that eyebrow that you can just spit on.